Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. So we can put the fountain up now. <laughs> on cue, three, two, one. Boom. Take those top lights down, Sam, would you please? Just so we can actually enjoy the chocolate. To be honest, if I was more organized, I, w- I would have had it on the stage. But um, yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, who likes chocolate? That is chocolate. Um, my sister, Deborah, loves chocolate. She was the only person in our household ever owned one of these because she loves chocolate. She used to work in Thornton's chocolate shop. So every time after a shift, we were all really friendly to Deborah. <laughs> oh, how, how'd the shift go, Debs? Anything with you? Any leftovers, any trial chocolate? And yes, there was. So here we have a chocolate fountain. I was thinking about last week's message. We were talking about a fountain from the top down. And, and how, how do you get the chocolate machine to do that? You just actually have to put chocolate in the base. Is that right, Debsy? And you put chocolate in the base. It, it filters up through the center and then flows down from the top down. And so that's exactly what we've been talking about last week, is that, that we're accountable for three relationships in our life. Our relationship with God at the top, hopefully. Our relationship with ourself. And then a relationship with others. Because the Bible says you should love others as you love yourself. Meaning you have a relationship with yourself. Some of you bully yourself. And so when you fix that relationship, but, but, but from the top down. So the, the problem is, whatever is coming up through, through the top affects every area of your life. We, used to, we would say things like we put God first and then everything else falls into place or seek first the kingdom of God. What we're saying really is if, if God's at the top, everything else falls into place. If, if God's love is fulfilling us at the top, we're starting from a place of strength. We're starting from a place of overflow. Because as soon as you realize and accept that God loves you and it's His goodness that leads us to turn His way or to repent, then what happens is we spend time with that kind of love. We attach ourselves, we mold ourselves around that kind of love. And then that affects how we see ourselves. Because if we submit ourselves to His Lordship, then we submit ourselves to His beliefs about us being fearfully, wonderfully made, all those things that we read in the Scripture. We, we then begin, we need to try and work out accepting that God has actually given us everything that we need in life. It's in our hand. That, that actually we can experience love, joy, and peace, but only if we deal with, we put God at the top and, and allow Him to seep in to yourself. And often, I don't know about you, any times I'm not experiencing those things at level two myself, it's because something happened at level one. Something shifted at the top. And so until I fix the top, this tier two will not shift. Tier two will not change. And so give, give you an example. I'm not as passionate about God anymore. Okay, that's okay. 
you've got feedback. There's something not right. You're not passionate. It's not flowing to tier two any longer. And what often happens is something else is starting to seep out from the top because I've been watching Netflix too much and I've started to believe what's... Sun- what was that thing we were watching, Anna? Sunset. Selling Sunset. You start watching that too much. All of a sudden, what starts to seep out the top is not chocolate or not God's best. It's something that maybe doesn't taste as nice. Something you're not going to dip your marshmallow into or your strawberry. And so what then happens is all of a sudden, reading your Bible is not exciting anymore. It's just homework. Or, or worshiping God, there's no experience. Listen, watch this. I was reading this during the week. Did you know one of the things that messes with us as people when it comes to God and church and relationship with God is experience? Because I don't know if you've learned this or not, but sin has an experience. We are attracted to sin experiences on the front side, but what we forget and what we often uh, ne- neglect is the, the understanding that, yes, sin is exciting on the front end, but it's not the full picture. On the back end, there's consequence. On the back end, there's destruction. But we always only focus on the good part, you know, the, the high of the drug, but we forget about the destructive qualities. And, and, and we forget about the families being destroyed. We forget about the job being lost. We forget about uh, our, our body beginning to dysfunction. But, but let's focus on the sin experience. And so listen, God didn't just give us words, empty words. He didn't just give us uh, this empty kind of written word that has no power or no experience. You can, love is an experience. Joy is an, an experience. There's an experience that comes with joy. Is anyone with me? There's an experience that comes with peace. It's not just this written word. It's, it, it actually affects your body, your emotions, your will. Your desires are shifted. And so when we put God to the, the top of the fountain, there's something that oozes out. Rivers of living water flow out, and it is an experience with it. We're not led by experience, but it follows. Can I get an amen? That's so important. I came in here this morning a bit groggy, a bit tired, and we, me and Anna, we came and prayed from eight to nine. There's an experience. It sh- my, my emotions shifted. I started to see fl- a f- sense of flow of living water in my heart, in my soul. I started to, I wasn't so groggy after it. I, I was fresh. Something had been quenched. Are you with me? So hopefully some of you have been doing your bread. I'm telling you, you know what I've noticed this morning in our, in our ESPNs? That's just our, a way we encourage each other in our teams. You know what I've noticed? People are coming in fresh. People are coming in different. People are coming in having, they look quenched. The people that have been doing their diva. Why? Because it's living. It's alive. It changes the flow of the fountain and because of that, it, it, it's, they've spent time with God in His presence through His Word. And now they've dealt with themselves and their hearts are softer. I've seen it. I can see it visibly manifesting in people. And here they are with people, the church, to build each other up. And they have something not just, they're not just here. They're actually flowing over. They're bringing food to my table and giving it away. They're generous. And it's affecting me in a positive way. Do you see? That's the biggest recap of last week's message I've ever given, but it's important. 
And so today I want to talk to you about a message that I've named, Get Out of Here. Get Out of Here. And it's actually from the dev- my devotions throughout the week, so you will know the story, hopefully. Let's pray. God, I just pray and thank you that God, sometimes you're ruthless with us and that we need to be ruthless in our situations and sometimes we need to get out of here. I just pray, Father, that you would help me to speak and you would talk to our heart this morning and give us direction in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Get out of here. When we uh, came to look at this building, we, we wanted to see God do something. And I'm sure, I don't know anyone on the planet if they thought God was real or if God was real to them, that wouldn't want God to move. Wouldn't want to see the miracles that they read about in Jesus, whether they believed in Jesus or not. I think everyone would say, yes, I'll sign up to that conference if it's actually going to happen. Amen? And so we were coming here with the same motive, just the hope that if we create space, that God would move. And so the first thing we came in here to do is look around, is it a good space? And listen, it was far from a perfect space. It was a brutal space. It was smelly. It was ugly. This was green, like bright green. Like that was all green. It was the ugliest room you've ever seen. Ian will tell you, the lights were just propped up by a net on the side, which Ian took down in like three seconds um, without getting electrocuted because he's qualified. Um, so ripped those down. We're like in this massive net all over the roof. And then we went into the other room. It had brown tiles. I don't know if it started brown, but it ended up brown. And the other ones were green. The ugliest. Co- who, who was the designer in this circumstance? I do not know, but it was brutal. And for me, it was not fit for purpose. And I think a few of our uh, founding team thought the same. And they were like, Phil, what have you done? Because I came and showed them the keys before I asked them to come and look at the building. As you do. I think some of them were in like, what have we done? What have we signed up for? But anyhow, the first thing that we had to do was get the tiles out of here. We had to get the lights out of here. Dump them. We had to, to get the ugly color out of here. We had to cover it up. We had to replace it. We had to, we had to, um, we had to take all kinds of rubbish up the back out of here. Why? Because in, in order for us to create an environment which we, which we felt would be culturally accepted and relevant, one which we, we, we believe we, we could call down the fire of heaven to touch people's hearts, to create an excellent environment, we needed to first get some things out of the way. Some things which would get in the way. There were blocking door passages. We actually looked, one of the guys, Luke, who was with us, at the time, he literally, he was, he's in the building trade, and one of the first things he'd done was, literally, there was this wall, it was honestly like cardboard, and it was like super thin. He literally just like yanked it, and it fell. And he literally ripped the whole roof out. But thankfully, he replaced it. But he had to get it out of here. And I want to read you a story here in Matthew, that we read this week in Matthew 9, and this is what it says. So, so it says, as Jesus was saying this, the leader of the synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay on your hands. So, so the leader of the synagogue, if you can understand, the central headquarters in the Jewish tradition uh, was the temple. And then because not everyone could travel to the temple every day of every week, that they would have these synagogues in, in, in the more rural uh, scenario. 
And so the temple leader was the person who would organize for the, you know, the next preacher to come in. If there's someone passing by, they would ask them to come and share. They would have school. They would have teaching. They would pray together. It would be a community hub, a bit like a local church in some ways. And uh, this guy is so interesting that he was the leader. So he probably, he obviously knew of Jesus, but he was very confident that if Jesus would just come and lay his hands, everything would shift. Everything would change. And so I'm trying to get my mind into to the mind of this leader and what he's thinking. And what I find interesting with, with this leader is he waited until his daughter was dead before he moved. Why did, if he knew the power that Jesus had, why did it take him to wait until a dead end, until he had no longer control of the situation? Or at least there was no longer any hope before he moved. And I don't know about you, but I think sometimes in life that's how it works. I think if you're honest, sometimes we need a dead end. Sometimes some of us didn't come to church until we received a dead end. Some of us didn't come to faith in Christ until we, we realized our lack of control in this life. I, I love this story. Um, Yet again, you probably think I'm just sitting watching TV all week, but we were watching the show The Island, I think it's called, by uh, Burr Grylls. Anyone seen it? No? All right. That's a not very popular show. Okay. Well, hopefully a few more of you will watch it this week. But it's, it was actually a good show. I, I'm kind of more attracted to, like, real life these days with too much fantasy stuff. Um, and it was like a documentary. And so what had happened, these people were thrown on an island for 30 days just have to survive, and there's money all over the island. They've got to try and find it, and da-da-da. But one of the biggest things is they realize that they need a life source of water. Because without water, not polluted water, but real, just pure water, um, they can't live. And so they, they realized from the start, right, we need a one set up camp, but we need to find a water source, or we'll not make it. And there was a doctor there, and he was you know, adamant, we've got to make sure it's you know, a spring, a, a water spring or something that's not going to pollute us. So anyhow, they, were, they, they, they found a water source and set up camp, and they were relaxed, and that was their base, and they could go from there, and that's where they slept at the camp, and that's where they relaxed at the camp, and that's where they had their food at the camp, and they just came back to the camp, a bit like the synagogue, or a bit like the church, they just came back into the community at the camp. And it was comfortable. But then one day, something happened where, where there was a massive storm and, and uh, you know, the waves came right in because they were near the beach at, at the kind of edge of the forest and the, and the beach and the waves came in so thick and fast that it swamped the camp. And not just swamped the camp, it came over their source of water. And so what that meant was that the water had now become polluted to the point where one, uh, they actually tried for one day to find water and their supplies were nearly gone uh, and Oh, sorry, the supplies were gone, and they were panicking. They were at a dead end. Their source had died. It had been polluted. It was over. And so they realized, we're, we're gonna, this is going to end for us. We're not going to survive if we do not find another spring. Actually, one of the women uh, did, couldn't wait because they were waiting at the camp while the others were going out to search for this, for this other spring that they didn't know was there. And she took some of the muddy water and just so thirsty. And she was puking all night. Like, like, I mean, felt like death. Didn't want to live anymore. 
like the, the, and the doctor was just like, I told you. <laughs> I told you. Like what? It, he had no sympathy. He's like, I told you not to drink it, but she was so thirsty. See, sometimes in our life we can, in those areas of vulnerability, we can, we can drink polluted water. And we can, we can, out of desperation, instead of going to God or seeking Him, even though it's not convenient, we take the first thing that looks nice, maybe the first man that looks nice, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Maybe you know, that first job or maybe the, the source of money that just looks nice and it's convenient. And what happens then is we're puking, we're broken, we're, to- we're intoxicated in that situation. So fast forward, it's funny with these programs, it always just works out at the, at the break, you know, just at the right moment, it all works out. And they went out seeking and eventually they found another spring and they moved to camp there and they found that source of water. But what happened in order to get that new water in that spring, they had to get very uncomfortable. They had to sit in a scenario where, where death was possible. They, they had to nearly ride the line and take a risk and get out of camp and get out of comfort. For me in my life, I've actually found that my devotion to God, my relationship with God in those moments when it feels like death's door in whatever scenario it is, if I choose in those moments to seek God, I come out better. I come out stronger. I come out trusting more. See, devotion can go deeper through desperation if you choose God's way. Number one, get out of camp. The first thing we need to do is get out of camp. Sometimes in desperate situations, we just can't stay stuck. There's a situation maybe in your life right now, it's just not working. You know it's a death door, you know it's a dead end, it's not working, but you're still there, hoping. And you're even tempted to drink off the toxic water. And it's not going to end well. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hold you back. So don't be discouraged at a dead end. You just need to get out. Well, what does that look like? In just, I'm, I'm not really going through anything desperate right now, Phil. Well, what does that look like with my walk with God, with, with life, with community? Well, well, maybe getting out of camp for you looks like get off the sofa and go join a group. Oh, but I'm not used to that. I've been lying on the sofa for two years. <laughs> well, and, uh, how are you spiritually? I'm sure you've grown massively. You know, how's your soul? Are you alive? Are you, are you full of, are you overflowing with love, joy, and peace? Or, or maybe you need to join a team, or maybe you need to meet somebody for a coffee that you've maybe always sensed you might want to meet, but just didn't have that too comfortable. Or maybe you need to pray for someone out loud. Not even in church. Maybe someone's going through something and by you just saying you'll pray with them openly out loud, that's out of comfort for you. But it's going to really minister to someone. And you know what will happen in that situation? It'll minister to you as well. Or maybe you need to get out of comfort you know, with me and Anna, we shared at the start, you know, I really wanted to start a relationship, you know, with Jesus as the foundation. And at the start, I, I'm honest, it felt awkward when we shared our heart with each other and what we felt God was saying. Never done it before. 
But now it's, it's, it's comfortable, now it's natural, now it's easy. But I encourage you to get out of camp. If you're in that situation, you've never done it before, it's okay to not have done it before. It's okay to be nervous. It's okay to feel feelings of fear. That's normal. That's what breakthrough looks like. Breakthrough looks like sensing what is right by the Spirit of God through wisdom of wise counsel and going forward and feeling fear and doing it anyhow. That's what breakthrough, the beginning of breakthrough looks like fear. It looks like no water available, desperate. I want to, I'm desperate to make this work. You see, what can happen with your life if, if you have a dream to see God move in your life that, that can make you desperate in a good way. If you're desperate to have a God-first relationship or, or relationship with God or with others, if you set the bar high, that can create a gap that you need to do or need to reach, but you can't do it yourself. And so it can cause you to go out into the woods searching for that water searching for that new spring. Whereas if you just accept now it's just life, I'm just going to be lethargic, just going to be comfortable. What did we say last week? The definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. So maybe you're like, oh, I'm just not feeling anymore. Well, what, are you out of camp? Are you just sitting by the fire hoping for the best, hoping for the genie in the bottle? just to appear and just give you your, your wish. It, unfortunately, Jesus, this is the problem sometimes within churches. We can believe that stuff. We can believe, oh, if this is God's will, it'll just happen, will it? Because from what I see, the leader of the synagogue who was in ministry realized that he had to go to Jesus. He had to seek Jesus. He had to find Jesus. He had to get desperate for Jesus before Jesus would move on his behalf. Verse 23 says, when Jesus arrives, so Jesus, he had actually agreed to go to the official's home. And watch this. Jesus arrived at the official's home. He saw the noisy crowd and heard the funeral music. He says, get out. Everyone say, get out. But don't actually get out. Get out, he told them. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. But watch this. But the crowd laughed at him. Turned to your neighbor and said, stop laughing. <laughs> the crowd laughed at him. After the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand and she stood up. The report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside. Through the entire countryside. My second point is get the funeral band out. I, I don't know if some of you know, but I used to DJ at weddings, strangely enough. And there was one, one occasion where, you know, what you usually do with a, somebody getting married, Natalie will know this, and, and uh, there's a few other wedding photographers in here as well, um, is you've got to ask the client, you know, what music do you want? What's your playlist? Here's a bunch, and to be honest, you have to limit that because... Sometimes they don't know how to DJ. So sometimes they'll give you the worst songs that just clears the dance floor. And uh, yeah, it's not good. I, I trusted them a few times and that was it. Game over. So anyhow, I, I got the list. I got it all organized. I was supposed to go to the Clandy Boy. And uh, 
I was trying to figure out, you know, where this is. It was on the, on the maps, trying to get there for the right time. I was hoping it would go on later a wee bit, as you do. Uh, minimize my time so it wouldn't be as late. And uh, traveling there, all the speakers in, 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 the, in the car. And it was the Clanley boy. But I didn't know there was two Clanley boys. There's the Clanley boy estate. And there's a Clanley boy, is it in? Hotel, sorry. So I think I was at the Clanley boy hotel. But I was supposed to be at the Clanley boy Estate, I think. I'm still confused. <laughs> so anyhow, I'm like, I was a wee bit late because I was a wee bit confused of where I was supposed to go and, and I was in a bit of a rush. I think I was coming from work and this was about 10 years ago. And I, I arrive up and I say, right, there's a wedding, super, that's my spot. There's only one spot here to set up, so that must be me. So I came, came in the back door, seen the band were getting set up, got my table out of the car, get the speakers out, just, you know, just not even thinking, just doing uh, and getting it all set up. I was like, oh, what's your, what's your name, guys? Or when, when are you finishing? Or trying to get all the logistics sorted. And, and they're like, yeah, yeah. And they're, they're kind of looking at me strangely. And I was like, these guys are weird. Like, why? Be friendly at least. Like, we're in this together. You're getting your cut. I'm getting my cut. Relax. Am I getting a bigger cut? Or what happened? Or what did you find out? But anyhow, I was setting up the table, but nice little cloth over it. And decks were coming out. And MacBook out. And... And, and I was all set up, ready to go, and so I had a, a bit of time to chat, and I was kind of at peace then. I could go and disappear and look for the food somewhere, uh, and and then I got talking to one of the guys, and he, and he was like, I was like, so where, where are you guys from, or, and so when, when are you finishing? And he's like, uh, at the end. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah, we we're, we were wondering what you were doing. We, we're doing the band, and we're the DJ too. And I'm just processing for a second. And I'm like, and I was aware there was two clanly boys, and I'm like, you're kidding me. I, you know that coat, that rush you get in. All right. <laughs> Quickly got onto Google, and I'm like, oh my word. I was, I had to get out. I had to get my, I had to get my, my, my wedding DJ set out because. If I had continued on and I tried to play my set, you, you know, have you ever heard of Bridezilla? And I'm, I'm knocking out the songs that they hate. It's going to be a mess. It could be the end, the dead end. It could be the, my, my DJ career could have ended that night if I hadn't got out. And so, so Jesus, the first thing he, he said to this situation was they were celebrating he was basically saying, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. I'm here to resurrect. And you're, you're going against what I want. You're going against the grain. You're getting in the way. It's time to get the funeral band out. See, what are we watching? What are we listening to? What are we seeing? That's painting a different picture to the one God would have us live. What sounds on Netflix... What, what music, what, what are the words in the music that we're listening to? What are they teaching us and telling us? Maybe it's time to switch some music off. Or so, so, some, what, what are we rehearsing? What are we singing to ourselves? What are we dreaming about becoming? That's getting in the way of God's best, God's dream for your life. It's time to get the funeral band out. See, when you, when you have the wrong playlist and you have the wrong venue and the, you get the wrong results. 
And Jesus knew that this band, this funeral, this bunch of people, in that culture, they would actually, at a funeral, they would bring in a professional band to play the songs and make a lot of commotion. And I don't think we can really understand that. Ours is more quiet and gentle and reserved. But here they would make a lot of wailing and crying. And I think it was to encourage the mourning process. But the first thing Jesus said was, you've got to go. You're in the way you've got it. This is not the script. If we're going to see this resurrection happen, there's certain things have to leave the situation. So the situation of your life, what does that look like? Who needs to leave? What groups of people, acquaintances, are getting in the way from you moving forward? And you know it, but, but it takes a bold move. It takes a ruthless move. It's so easy to settle for less. We were watching that program last night more probably, well, I hope the motivation was more to look at the homes in, in Hollywood or wherever the heck it was. But, you know, some shocking, some of the personal situations that came into those, those stories, and it can get on you. You can start to accept that as normal. You can start to accept that as okay. And we, we talked about it after and how we were like nearly... It started to spark off fear. What have you done that, Phil? What happened in their situation? Anna, what have you done? It started to seep in to our fountain. It started to, to change the landscape. It started to change the culture of our hearts. And we had to realize we got to get the funeral band out. This is preparing us for failure. This is preparing us to get it wrong. This is preparing us to make mistakes on purpose. And that's what the culture, we've got to be careful of what is the culture of our heart. Who are we, can, the Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. What is the culture we're setting in our church, in our groups this season? Are we even going to groups? Do we want to be in that culture that's going to help us to put God first? I would say yes. Because what you prioritize matters. That's what's at the top. And it flows. Can I get an Amen. Remember one of our youth pastors used to always say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. He's just saying, if you're going to hang out with the funeral band, you're going to experience death. Because that's just what happens when a funeral band is in the building. If you're going to hang out at a group that's full of faith, you're going to catch faith. If you're going to go to a group that, that believes in prayer, you're probably going to believe in prayer. You see, you've got to be ruthless. I've started to really get more ruthless. I'm on, a, I'm on a journey, but I'm under pressure too to remove clothes from my wardrobe. You thought it was going to be something really profound there, didn't you? Well, what is it? What is it, Phil? But you know what I find is I, got, I have to be ruthless. I'm always thinking, but I might wear it one day in the next 10 years. <laughs> I guess I say, no, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. I'm not going to settle. You don't deserve the room in my wardrobe. You're clogging things up. In my day-to-day, who is it in your life or what is it in your life that's clogging things up? And you need to tell them, no, that's not good enough. 
Who's treating you at a certain level that is below standard? And you've settled. And you've allowed them to play their death songs over your soul and over your spirit and over your character and your characteristics. Who's playing those songs? Maybe it's time for you to say, get out. I don't accept that anymore. I now value myself the way God values me. My filter is different now. That is no longer appropriate. I'm offended that you would even think that. That is so healthy and that is so powerful in any relationship you have, whether it be a boss, a friend, family. Things can get toxic when you accept less. Things can get toxic when you allow them to play their tunes of death when it's time to live, when it's time to rise. Maybe you're in a recovery process in your life right now. You're trying to restore your value. You're trying to restore that, that second base. You accept God and what he says, but you're trying to get God into you. And, and you're at the second tier of the fountain. And you're in a process because it takes time and it takes repetition and it takes rehearsing God's word and speaking it over you and getting around people who believe the same thing that you believe. But you've got some people who are working against you. You've got some people that don't understand your value or don't understand where you're going. And, and every time you see them, it, it causes you to feel less. And so what I would say is you need to be upfront and be honest, not chuck them out. Give them a chance. But you need to say, this is, who, this is where I'm going. This is what's okay. And if you do this, I'm not okay with it. And if you continue to do it, bye-bye. Get out of here. You're like that old brown tile, minging. <laughs> but God still loves you. But the way you treat me is minging. <laughs> Three things. The crowd resisted hearing what Jesus had just said, that he's going to resurrect this daughter. The crowd resisted the resurrection, and the crowd laughed at the truth. They couldn't accept the truth. It, it went be, beyond understanding. It didn't make sense. The resurrection doesn't make sense. Why? Because we can't do it ourselves. We don't have the capacity to see that or experience that with our own ability. And see, in our journey of faith, as we read, as, as we spend time with God, God's going to put some thoughts, some ideas that are bigger than us. That's what the church is. We get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. It's beyond our control. It's beyond our understanding. You see, faith, what's this? Faith is walked out forward, but it's often understood backwards. As we look back, we see, whoa, I didn't understand at the time, but I just stayed faithful. But as I look back, I see how God paved the path, how God put people in my life to help me at the time I didn't get it. I didn't know why I was in this location or this place or this house or this job. But, but whoa, I wouldn't be the person I am today if I hadn't have went through that. I wouldn't have had the gifts and, and the talents and, and the ability and the endurance and the resilience if I didn't go through that. I, I, I look back and I understand. Has anyone been there? But one thing we see in the story is that the goal is to get Jesus' hands on the girl. You know, we talk, we talk about, um, you know, if God's hands in it, it'll work. God's hand is in it, it will, it will figure itself out. And what we're really saying in that situation is if God is at the top, 
if God has given his place, if we've created space and cleared the room for Jesus to come and touch our life, our situation, that area that we have fear, then what we're saying is their favor. What we're saying is it doesn't matter what the crowd is laughing at or what the crowd thinks. If God's hand is upon it, it'll work. It'll come to pass. Because God is the author of life. Not just the experience of love, joy, and peace life, but the breath of life. And so God can do what He wants when He wants it. We even see stories in the Bible of people changing God's mind because He can do what He wants. If we can just get Jesus' hand on it, because when Jesus' hand is upon it, His flow is through it. If we get Jesus' hand upon our, our life, it means He begins to flow through us. And our self-esteem is restored. Our sense of worth is restored. Passion and purpose is found. You see, it's a crazy thing to believe that after this earth, there's hope. Why? It's amazing to have hope. Because hope deferred kills. It destroys. And maybe you're in here today and, and you just don't have hope. And without Jesus, where is the hope? Do we just believe that that's it? Well, well if that's what you believe, you're going to stay at the camp. And you're going to stay stuck. And there's all kinds of poisonous, ugly water lurking about as the waves of this world, this sinful world, crash upon all of us. And Jesus is saying, listen, I need you to get out of the camp. I need you to clear the space from any toxic sounds and bands and commotion. I need you to create a space of communion, a space where I can speak to your heart and do devotion and bring it to me and seek me. And if you seek me, you will find me. And if you find me, it will change how you see yourself and it will change how you see others. Because God's hand will be upon you. And, and when God touches you through the person of Jesus and what he done on the cross, like that last song we sang, what happens is you experience change. You don't just know of change, you sense change. You, you just don't hear about God's vision. You see God's vision. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.